Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on our program, dangerous COVID spikes, climate plans, and a big budget. But we begin with Tory Green. Canada's Conservatives will scrap the federal carbon tax backstop and work with the provinces to implement an innovative and national personal low carbon savings account. Is it a flip-flop on carbon pricing or a bold challenge to the Liberals' climate plan? Will it hit the promised targets? We'll unpack the new Tory climate plan with Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole and Green Party leader Annamy Paul weighs in on it on the scrum. Then, budget blowout? Our priority as a government is being there to support Canadians, being there to give them the supports that they need to get through this. Will tomorrow's federal budget include up to $100 billion in promised new spending, or will it tackle the deficit? Will national childcare finally launch? The Treasury Board President, Jean-Yves Duclos, gives us the details, and later on the Scrum, we'll dig into it with Goldie Hyder from the Business Council of Canada. Plus, danger zone. I know some of us are frustrated, some of us are frightened, and some of us are just fatigued, and many I know are all three. Notice that our hospitals can no longer function normally. They are bursting at their seams, we're setting up field hospitals, and we're separating critically ill patients from their families by helicoptering them across the province for care. Our hospitals about to be overwhelmed by the third wave. Will tough new restrictions in Ontario, including border closures and shutting down playgrounds, make a difference? Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie and CTV infectious disease specialist Dr. Abdu Sharkawi join us with the latest on the desperate battle facing that province. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. For a man who won the leadership of his party by calling himself True Blue, Aaron O'Toole has suddenly added a shade of green. His new conservative climate plan includes something conservatives have railed against for years, a consumer price on carbon. That's right, a price of up to $50 a tonne that will raise the price of gas and home heating. Now, here are some of the key details of the plan. The cornerstone, as I said, is something called the consumer price on carbon that starts at 20 bucks a ton, moves to $50 as soon as next year. The money is not rebated to the consumer like the current Liberal plan. Instead, it goes into something called a low carbon savings account, which is like a rewards program where consumers can then cash out on what will be approved green goods like a bike or a solar panel. There's also regulation on big emitters through an output-based pricing system similar to the current plan. That carbon price could hit 170 bucks a ton, but only if the U.S. follows along up to 2030. There are regulations on buildings and transit and $15 billion in investments in everything from zero emission vehicles to carbon capture and storage. The Conservatives say they will meet the same emissions goal as the Liberals, but it will cost people less. Is this a big political flip-flop for a Conservative leader who long promised to repeal the Liberal carbon tax, or is this a serious plan that Conservatives will use to possibly win the next election? How will it actually work? Let's find out. Joining me now is Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole. Lots to get through, Mr. O'Toole. Let, let's start with the most, as you've seen in the coverage, the most media, uh, politically contentious or bold, people can pick their word for this, part of your plan, the consumer price on carbon. Some conservatives said you've broken your promise to conservatives. Uh, you promised that you would never have a consumer price on carbon that would say raise the price of gas at the pumps for the average Canadian. Your plan does just that. What led you to flip? Well, I have always been consistent on wanting to eliminate Mr. Trudeau's carbon tax, and that's what we're going to do, Evan. 
the low carbon savings account we've proposed will be kept by consumers. Not one cent goes to government, so it's not a tax at all, but it is a price on carbon uh, at the consumer level to have a plan to meet our objectives to meet our targets, we needed to address the 60% of emissions. And we've come up with an innovative way to do that without a tax that actually provides full transparency to consumers and then lets them make decisions on how they use their low carbon right. savings account. Now, I, I know you're a lawyer and you keep saying this is not a tax, but a lot of people are, say that this is just uh, a word game because you don't want to say that. This is a government mandated revenue that people, that people who drive or heat their home have no choice but to pay. They are forced to pay it because of government policy. Sir, by any definition, isn't that the exact same thing that you promised never do? Here's what you've said in the past. We need to get burdens of tax and the carbon tax right. out of the way. That's why businesses are leaving. Yes or no, will you scrap the carbon tax? Yes. Our approach is going to try and partner with the provinces, focus on the economy, and have a plan to get emissions down, but without Mr. Trudeau's carbon tax that's making us less competitive. The carbon tax impacts our competitiveness and it hurts people on the margins the most. I think it's backwards, to be honest. This is a, a $50 price on carbon affects consumers. Can you explain to conservatives who believed you would never have this, why this is not just a word game and why you changed your mind? No, those clips are exactly why we came up with the low carbon savings account, Evan. Uh, and I said in my speech, the U.S. does not have a national carbon price. They do not have a carbon tax in the U.S. And we've seen jobs and investment leave Canada. And Mr. Trudeau is now tripling a tax that he said he never would in the, in, in the past. So we have to be competitive with countries we compete with for jobs. So I've said even on the industrial level, we're going to partner with the U.S., and, and price industrial emissions in line with the EU and with the United States, because we can't be uncompetitive, and we've got to take on um, the, the, un, the unenvironmentally sound products from China, Venezuela, places like that with our carbon border adjustment tariff. But it is a price on carbon at the consumer level, but it's not a tax because not a penny goes to right. government, Evan. Okay. People are in the driver's seat and it's transparent. Okay, I, I don't want to play word games. It, you know, the old say, if it walks like a tax and talks like a tax, it's a tax because from a consumer point of view, they're spending $50 on, on carbon, either the liberal plan next year or your plan. But let's talk about the low carbon savings account, which is, this is the third party thing that you say means it do, the money doesn't go to the government. It goes to this low carbon savings account. Who will administer that? Who pays for the administration of that? How much will that cost? Uh, this will not be a government-run program. It will be something that we view the industry uh, doing in a similar way that the financial services industry uh, developed and innovated with the Interact system, which people use far more now than, than traditional old currency. This will be applied at point of purchase, much like uh, much like levies or, or, or Mr. Mr. Trudeau's carbon taxes applied at point of purchase. Some people are already getting air miles and other things. This will be an account that is then tracked. It will not be big government. It will be actually run in a similar fashion to a loyalty type program and you will have an account. So this is a government policy increases, you know, puts a price on carbon, then it's the, the money goes into a privately run account. We don't know what their fee is to run this account. 
And now you're saying people then can, it's a rewards program, and people can only spend their money on government-approved green products. I know you're a conservative here. The liberal plan rebates money, and people can spend it on anything we want. You, they, people want. The conservative plan is run by a private company, and people can only spend their own money on how the government approves products. I, I, how does that work? Let, let, me, let, me ta let, let me tackle that big misunderstanding about Mr. Trudeau's plan. They do not rebate to you what you spend on the carbon tax. In fact, they've covered up even telling how they've modeled this. In fact, they're redistributing wealth from a lot of suburban commuters in Vaughan, in, in Surrey, that do not get back what they're spending. No, to be fair, I, I want to talk about your plan. consistently let, let, refused to do it. No, no, this the, the, the parliamentary budget officer, listen, uh, I get it. I, I just, you know, the parliamentary budget officer, independent officer, said eight out of 10 Canadians get more back from the current rebate than they spend. I, but I don't want to get into their plan because we've done that a lot. And your plan, why make people only spend their rewards on government approved products? I, I thought you this told me about, that you didn't like Ottawa Knows Best. Isn't that Ottawa Knows Best? Absolutely not. This will be something that is allowing those consumers to see their own carbon footprint and make decisions to reduce it. I hear all the time from all parties on the spectrum saying every Canadian take, needs to take their role in, in a climate change plan. This allows that through full transparency and for people to have their low carbon savings account and make smart decisions on everything from a from an EV, a new efficient furnace for the home, new windows, Evan, or even eating eating local, lo lower carbon food. The 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 potential here is unlimited, and it's not big government; it's innovative private sector with full transparency. If a province doesn't want to buy into this plan, they don't want the fifty dollar a price on carbon. You know, you've seen provinces like Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba. They've all said many times we don't like this price on carbon at the pumps. Would you, if you were the prime minister, use the constitutional powers that the Supreme Court gave? you to enforce this as a minimum national standard, that if the provinces don't have a similar system, you would enforce this system that you've come up with? I've spoken to some uh, provincial, pro provincial leaders already, Evan, to talk about how I'm going to try and collaborate uh, on the environment, on, on climate change, and there will be the ability to have equivalencies, right. respect. I've always said the provinces were way ahead of Ottawa, so this isn't an area where we need an Ottawa knows best approach right. uh, of just an ever-increasing tax. If they can have equivalencies in meat, this is the proposal I'm putting to them that I think is But if they don't, would you enforce it? We're, we're going to talk to them about how we can meet those emission targets. And I'm, conservatives are generally much more collaborative with the provinces than, than, than the Liberal Party is, and that's going to be my approach. Okay, uh, Budget Day Monday, uh, obviously you have already indicated, you've met with Mr. Trudeau. What do you need to see in there to support it, and what are your chief concerns about it? Well, as you know, we've supported all of the programs to help Canadians throughout the pandemic, Evan. In, in fact, some cases we, we voted in favour of getting money and support out to people, even though we knew there were problems with the program, and then we tried to fix them afterwards. Mr. Trudeau knows that I, I think the focus needs to be people working in a plan for Canada to have a smart economic reopening part uh, after, after COVID-19 in all sectors of the economy and in all regions of the country. Uh, my, what worries me is his constant language about reimagining the economy or, or building back better after a crisis. This is the kind of buzzwords that he's been spending $6 billion on consultants on. That should worry people if, if you work in a sector or part of the country that Mr. Trudeau doesn't think is better. 
Okay, well, we'll watch out to see what it is. I mean, it's going to be a really important budget, especially one uh, at a time of a terrible time in this pandemic. Uh, Mr. O'Toole, always good to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. Well, the pandemic budget that has been two years in the making arrives tomorrow, and the government has already signaled this will be an ambitious big spending document, one that might include a plan, well, to spend up to $100 billion new dollars in the next three years on everything from national childcare to pharmacare, infrastructure. But does the economy really need more stimulus? It's already coming back strongly from the worst of the pandemic. 300,000 new jobs in the last few months. 90% of the jobs have already returned. The deficit is already $381 billion. Is it time to spend or time to restrain? Let's find out. Joining me now is the President of the Treasury Board, uh, Jean-Yves Duclos. Uh, great to have you, Minister, on the program. Let me just start talking about uh, the plan, the signal to spend up to $100 billion in stimulus over the next three years. Uh, Stats Canada said your government already has given Canadians back more than they lost in the pandemic. That functions as what's called the preloaded stimulus. The economy's growing. Uh, how will your government justify spending more with record deficits and, and actually very good growth? Hi, Evan, and hello to everyone listening. Uh, well, I'll start by saying that a very common mistake that many governments make with a recession is to underinvest too quickly. So we want to exit this recession. And unfortunately, in the past, too many governments have stopped investing in the workers and the sector has suffered from various recessions. And we will want to avoid that as we exit from this current uh, recession. Now, how we do this, two ways. Uh, first, we are going to bounce up by looking after those sectors and those workers that have suffered more from the recession and will bounce forward by investing in a green and more safe and more and more just economy. Okay, but nobody has accused your government in a long time of restraint. The parliamentary budget officer, the independent officer of parliament, has said all the jobs lost in the pandemic are going to come back. Uh, and this is his pre-budget report. Unemployment will, will decline. This is before this budget before any stimulus. He says the U.S. stimulus is going to add a point of GDP. And he said, and I'll, I'll read his quote, the government's 70 to $100 billion earmark for stimulus spending and potential budget measures pose a, quote, upside risk to our economic outlook and will increase the deficit. Is your government concerned about structural deficits based on overspending? I'll use a key word, which is responsibility. The first thing that we need to be responsible for is those more than half a million workers who are still out of a job or have lost a lot of their income uh, compared to last year. So yes, the economy will bounce back and is bouncing back, but not everyone is benefiting from it, including women, younger Canadians, racialized Canadians, and workers with a lower wage or lower wage, lower uh, job security. So those people need mm. continuing support in the sector that employ them as well. Now, the second use of responsibility is to invest our resources responsibly. As I said, it's going to be responsibly looking after a safe and strong restart, but also looking forward to investing in early learning and childcare and in a greener economy, because this is where we know we need to be heading to. Okay, so infrastructure, greener economy. Uh, your government has redefined what infrastructure classically means. It's usually roads and bridges. I, I know this is a widening definition on a lot of things. Uh, are you talking about national childcare as a form of infrastructure? Is universal pharmacare or, or even a universal basic income that you've studied? 
are these things part of what your government is considering? Are they, off the, are they all on the table? Well, quality and affordable childcare is certainly a very strong form of social infrastructure. I have the privilege of being a, a father uh, in Quebec for 23 years now. I've been an academic before 2015, studying the impact and the value of investments in early learning and childcare. And I've followed the situation over the last two decades in Quebec. And I can tell you that investing in early learning and childcare is investing right. in infrastructure, social infrastructure, but has obviously very strong economic impacts so of stronger growth, more jobs for more people, obviously for women, uh, also more income for parents, and obviously greater uh, uh, women and, and men equality, greater gender equality. But, but, but just, I, um, okay, one of the things people want to know is the fiscal anchor. Your government has literally broken every balanced budget promise you've made since 2015, but I know in the pandemic things are very different. We're, we're way over that. Um, will there be a fiscal anchor? According to the parliamentary budget officer, the debt to GDP ratio is supposed to rise to about 50%. We're getting into pretty dangerous levels. The old liberal target was 30%. That was the target. Is your government going to have a firm commitment to have that fiscal anchor to reduce the deficit to or the debt to GDP ratio to 30% from close to 50? And when will that happen? We'll do two things uh, in the budget. The first thing which we will do is to build on the very strong position in which we were pre-pandemic. We had the, the, the best fiscal situation of all G7 countries. We also had the best economic position uh, since 1976, in, 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 in particular on unemployment. So we were very strong. Before but that's changed. Yeah, that's changed a lot. That's changed, you know. But we are still in a very strong fiscal position, at least compared to all other G7 countries. And we will be very strong as we emerge from the crisis because of the strong and, and, and I think very valuable investments that we've made through the crisis to maintain both our economic in our social fabric. We are mindful, we, we should be mindful of what it would have been otherwise if we had not, we had not supported families, workers, and businesses, small businesses in particular. Not only would we, we have had a very bad economic and fiscal outcome, but we would have entered into a very severe social crisis. Okay, but, okay, but let, can you answer the question? Will you have a fiscal anchor of, of a 30% debt to GDP ratio when, or are you guys abandoning that? No, well, you'll, you'll see, obviously, tomorrow, you'll see that we'll be responsibly using the fiscal resources that we have. We will be mindful of the current emergency uh, for which austerity would not work. No, austerity would be a terrible thing to do. Not only would it be a very bad economic outcome, but fiscally it would mean greater deficits and therefore greater debt over the longer term. All right, uh, and we hope we get something there. Uh, Minister Duclos, always a pleasure to have you on the program. We're looking forward to the budget tomorrow. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Shared pleasure. So effective immediately, we're extending the emergency declaration and prolonging the stay-at-home order province-wide for an additional two weeks. Police will have the authority to require any individual who is not in a place of residence to first provide their purpose for not being at home and provide their home address. New restrictions, border restrictions between Ontario, Quebec and Manitoba, extended at-home orders, no outdoor gathering with anyone outside your own household, shutting down outdoor playgrounds, new powers to police to enforce restrictions, tickets up to $750. 
this is Ontario in the third wave. And yet, people can still pray indoors at religious places with up to 10 people, or have an indoor wedding with up to 10 people, and still no paid sick leave. What do we make of Ontario's new restrictions as that province tries to desperately battle a third wave that's been described by the science advisory table there as, quote, completely out of control? Modeling data does show Ontario could see 18,000 cases per day by the end of May, or worse, up to 30,000. Are these stricter measures helpful? Is there any data that backs up, for example, that outdoor transmission, like playgrounds, are really a vector? Let's find out as the whole country's battling the third wave. We're joined now by Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie. Her city's in the hot zone and CTV infectious disease specialist Dr. Audrey Sharkawi uh, is also here. Good morning to both of you. Mayor Crombie, I'll start with you uh, about these new restrictions. What are your response in terms of the various things that are open and the various things that are closed? What's the good, what's the bad in your view? tell you the good and the bad from my perspective i certainly think it was wise to limit the number of gatherings uh you know to only immediate family that was fine and i certainly appreciated the increase of vaccine which increased 25 percent to the hot spot zones which include myself where it didn't go far enough for me was uh looking at that essential list of businesses that are open clearly there are certain manufacturers that don't need to be open right now i certainly got would have gone through that list and closed down some of those businesses of course you know that i believe there should have been sick pay and paid sick leave as, as a component of that and i would not have restricted outdoor activities because i think that's the safest place to be kids outside whether they're playing soccer they're playing basketball or they're out on the playground they're out with their friends rather than inside look I, dr shirkari let me bring you in the modeling's terrifying. Um, this third wave is real. The ICUs are filling up. I think there's a wide agreement that things are really bad. But I, I'm just trying to figure out from a data point of view, uh, what do you make of the measures taken? Ten people can still go to church or a religious institution or go to a wedding or a big box store. Home construction is allowed, as Bonnie Crombie just talked about. There's no paid sick leave, but you've closed the borders between Manitoba and Quebec. Uh, is there any data to support, in your view, you know, the closing of borders like that or, or closing playgrounds because they are vectors of spreading, in your view? There's absolutely none, to be quite honest with you. And I think there was an attempt to almost compile a laundry list of different restrictive measures that in their totality would seem to accomplish the end result of getting uh, this curve flattened and containing this third wave. But unfortunately, a lot of these measures don't hold up to evidence. We know that even though we recommend that people try and avoid close contact when they are in outdoor environments and mask, if possible, we know that there is still very little evidence that outdoor transmission accounts for anything more than 1% of total COVID-19 cases. So to uh, mandate the closure of places like playgrounds and parks, which in my view at this point are absolutely essential for people's mental and physical health when we're clamping down and tightening the screws, makes no sense at all. Uh, there's very evident, very little evidence that closing intra-provincial borders in its entirety is going to make a big dent in what's going on here. And I would echo what Mayor Crombie has said. The root cause here is people who are most vulnerable, essential workers who have no choice. Mm -hmm. They can't stay at home. They are working in unsafe environments that have not been 
up to snuff in terms of their safety standards. That's who should be fined. That's who should be taken to account. Not somebody who's walking in public in an open space where the likelihood of transmitting this virus is next to negligible. But let me get back to uh, Bonnie Crombie because Dr. Sharkawi just mentioned something about powers I just want to tell tell you what do you make of the fact that police now have the power to stop anybody ask why you're out what is your address um, are people going to be arresting people who are in a park oh my kid was on the swing and the police will say where do you live why are you on a swing that literally can happen you can get a 750 dollars fine yeah yeah i have a lot of concerns and i hope police use those powers very reasonably and very responsibly it sounds as though we're going back to carding which of course you know i oppose um i don't know why those measures are in place and in what circumstances police have the ability or why they would stop anyone uh you know perhaps at the border checkpoints and Apart from that, I, I, we haven't been given an explanation on what are the circumstances that police would use that authority to stop you and question you, and would you have to, would you have to show your place of residence? Would you have to show your driver's license and prove where you live and give an explanation on where you're going and why? This is not how I want to use my police resources. We, we have a need for yeah. them to follow up on, you know, crime and peel, not, not to follow up with the individuals going to their workplaces uh, or going out for groceries or for the essentials. I don't think that's the, the best use of uh, our, those resources. Doc, look, the third wave is bad. And, and I know th these are important debates and people are frustrated. Frustration can lead to lack of compliance or vaccine hesitancy. We've even seen, as we saw uh, last week, the rioting in, in Montreal. But what, in your view, needs to happen now as we're, we're all trying to get to this third wave, we're waiting for more vaccines. What, sh in your mind, what would you have liked to see happen for, to help people get through this? Well, first of all, I see there being two real big parts of this crisis right now. One within the healthcare system itself, where frontline workers, particularly in the critical care sector, are about to break their backs. I would have liked to see more dialogue around constructive strategies to, let's say, try and redeploy critical care resources from Atlantic Canada, which has been doing very, very well. There was no talk around that, trying to develop some sort of national strategy to help redeploy resources right. for a critical care system and a healthcare system that is at the brink of collapse. And secondly, we need people to engage and adhere with public health messaging. If we're telling people that they can't be outdoors, we're going to drive them indoors. We're going to have the unintended consequences of people saying, the heck with this, I can't take care of this anymore. I'm going to do what I feel like at this point. It is a, uh, going to be a difficult uh, month, I think, for the people of Ontario. I know in B.C. and Alberta and Saskatchewan, there's a lot of places across this country that are going through a tough time. Uh, Mayor Crombie, I know you're in the hot zone. I always appreciate having you on the program. Uh, good luck. And Dr. Sharkawi, I know you've got a marathon ahead and you've run a, a number of them, you and your team. So thank you so much for joining us. Canada's Conservatives have a plan that will achieve the same emission reductions as the Liberal Carbon Tax Plan while growing jobs and our economy.
I do not trust this party will do any of what they are saying they will do in this insufficient pamphlet. A conservative price on carbon for consumers? Yes, yes. Despite years of railing against what they used to dismiss as a job-killing carbon tax, Aaron O'Toole has now released a plan that slaps a $50 a ton price on carbon for consumers. They'll feel it at the gas pump. The money, he says, will be funneled into a low-carbon savings account that will be administered by some third party in the private sector. There are no details on this yet. And then the money can be used to buy approved green products, like a rewards plan. There are also regulations on big emitters, investments in zero emission vehicles. Is it a credible plan? Is this a, a political backflip? And what will the political cost or the political opportunity be? Let's talk about that, but also to talk about the desperate race between the variants and the vaccines that's happening as the, we wait for the budget tomorrow. The scrum is here. Joyce Napier is the CTV News Ottawa Bureau Chief. Marika Walsh is a political reporter with the Globe and Mail. And our special guest this round is the Green Party leader, Annamie Paul. Good morning to everyone. All right, we're going to talk about the unfortunate third wave in a minute. But Annamie Paul, Aaron O'Toole says his new conservative climate plan will reach the same emission reductions as the liberal plan. He says it's cheaper. You've looked at the details. We've spoken to Aaron O'Toole. In your view, a credible plan? It's absolutely not. Neither of their plans are, are credible plans. We are so far behind where we need to be. We are just on the cusp, unfortunately, of losing the chance of a lifetime for a green recovery that's going to accelerate our move toward net zero. And so, you know, this is, and I'm sure that it was very difficult for Mr. O'Toole to propose any kind of carbon tax at all. But we do know that carbon taxes are the most efficient way uh, for us to get to net zero. They're an essential part of the solution, but it's not enough. So everything combined here, uh, everything combined with the Liberal plan is just not nearly enough, given how little time we have left and how far behind we are. Okay, uh, Marika, you, your, your take, is it a flip-flop on the carbon tax or carbon price issue and how are Conservatives reacting? And, and what's the political impact of this? He's clearly doing it because he believes that in the last election, Conservatives didn't have a credible plan. They couldn't win in places like Ontario, Quebec, Lower Mainland, B.C. This is, he's moving, and I think it might cost him in his own party, but he's trying to make a move, as Joy says. What do you make of it? That's absolutely right, Evan. This is about the next election. And from that perspective, Aaron O'Toole is showing that he's made the gamble that it's better to lose maybe a few votes in Alberta and Saskatchewan, where his party already wins by wide margins in most of the ridings, in the hopes of gaining seats and gaining vote share in the critical GTA and making his party palatable in Quebec. That's the key move for Aaron O'Toole. Yes, it's a flip-flop. Yes, it has credibility questions for the leader within his own party, but it's a move towards the general population. And for the Liberals, it is a big worry, I think. It's not something they can really overlook because you'll recall that in the last election, we saw Canadians are willing to vote for a party that does not have a clear path to their targets. The Liberals did not have the exact path to get to their 2030 targets when, when Canadians voted for them. And so it's unclear that Canadians would now say, oh, Aaron O'Toole doesn't fully get there or there's questions and that therefore they wouldn't vote for him. So I think there are risks for both parties right now. Okay, Annamy Paul, you're, you're, you're keeping your powder dry on this. But, <laughs> but, but isn't it, look at, we have amazing, I mean, we've come away, a place where every major this. party now yeah. supports at minimum a $50 price on carbon, which I, I think that's a dramatic shift. Yeah. But you got that happening, Annamy Paul. Monday, you're going to have the budget. Your party's going to have to decide whether to vote on it. What, what do you need to see in order to support the budget? Uh, and, and maybe that includes uh, 
maybe bigger climate targets? I, I just, Evan, honestly, I don't know how it has come to this, where when we know that people in Canada want us to be ambitious on the climate, even in Alberta, you know, across the prairies and places that are heavily dependent upon the fossil fuel sector, even there, uh, they have said, people have said, we know we don't have to make this choice between a green future and our economy. And what I see is that uh, our ambition has just been ratcheted and ratcheted down to the point where just introducing any plan at all is a step forward. And we just simply don't have time for that. And I know for sure that people in Canada want us to be more ambitious than that. So we, you know, we, are, the, we have, are the party we have always been, which is one that knows that we have everything that it takes to get to net zero faster. We want to be a global leader. We don't want to lag behind the United States or the European Union. Uh, and nothing that has been proposed so far is, is going to do that. We're happy to work with the other parties on that, but I am absolutely not gonna pretend right. anymore that half measures are good enough when full measures are what is needed. And by the way, Thursday, Joe Biden, the US president is gonna host a climate leader summit for 40 leaders, and we'll find out uh, if new measures come there later this week. Joyce, can we quickly turn to the the vaccine issue look we're all getting you know ontario for example uh, bc alberta their province is getting crushed by uh, the third wave big new restrictions in ontario uh, obviously um one of the the big weapon of course is not just social distancing and stay-at-home orders but vaccines you've watched moderna get plagued by supply chain problems pfizer's now stepped up i know eight million new doses for canada but has the federal rollout with, with things like moderna been such a problem that it's exacerbated uh the battle against the variants well, it depends who you ask. I mean, Evan, if you ask the provinces or some provincial premiers, they'll say, yeah, they'll point their finger to Ottawa. Ottawa says, look, we're getting them as fast as we can. Uh, you know, what's happening between the time they land in Canada and they get into your arm is the big question. Is that process too slow? Of course it is too slow. And in the meantime, these cases, are the, the variant cases are taking over. Uh, ICUs are full, hospitalization rates have gone up, almost 20% of Canadians have had a first mm. dose. So the question is, how is this happening? It is because uh, there were all these little decisions to, oh, we're going to lock down this little zone and not lock down this. Here, we're going to open stores on this side of the street, but not on that side of the street. We have been saying this on these panels. We have been talking about this for months, that that does not work. And I think that a, a province-wide decision that everybody's in the same right. boat, everybody is allowed to do the same thing or not allowed to do the same things, right. that probably is what we need now. Last word on that to you, Enemy Paul. I just really tremble for our federation when, when I see this happening. You know, this, this is what our federation was designed for. It was designed so that we could come together in moments of national emergency and crisis and help each other. And I don't see the generosity of people in Canada towards their neighbors, even in other provinces, being reflected in our federal and our provincial approach. Uh, we have said, and I remember Joyce saying this on your show, uh, Evan, uh, back in November, we need a national strategy, a national uh, coordinated response to a national emergency. The Canadian Medical Health Asso the Canadian Medical Association said that today as well. 
the, the um, federal government, the prime minister should be convening all of the premiers to agree on that approach together. Uh, there is absolutely no way that every province can do this on their own. And I will remind us that we have the Supreme Court judgment very recently related to the carbon tax, but the principle was the same, that if there's an extra provincial element to a, 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 an emergency, that the federal government has an essential role to play. And I'm still waiting for the federal government to step up and do it. Well, they, they've met with the premiers 29 times. The premiers do not want that type of national coordination. Uh, okay, I got to leave it there, though. We'll watch to see, obviously, uh, the budget tomorrow and how the Green Party reacts. So, Anna Paul, great to have you. Marika Walsh from The Globe, great to have you as well. Joyce is sticking around because when we come back, we dig a little deeper into what could be a blockbuster budget with nearly $400 billion deficit forecast. What can you expect in the first federal budget in over two years? Child care, pharmacare, universal basic income, the Scrum returns, and our special guest will be Business Council of Canada President and CEO Goldie Hyder. Stay right here with Question Period. We now show all five leading indicators of a forthcoming debt crisis. Will the budget, which has been delayed for two years, address this forthcoming debt crisis? It's curious to me that the Conservative Party, at every opportunity, seems to register complaints about the cost of our pandemic response without reflecting as well on the cost of inaction. Well, it's coming. The big pandemic budget, which has been marinating for two years, is set to arrive tomorrow. What will be in it? Finance Minister has promised to spend up to $100 billion more dollars in the next three years to stimulate the economy. Maybe set up a national child care program, maybe universal pharmacare, lots of green initiatives. But given that the economy is already growing faster than forecast, 300,000 jobs were added in the last couple of months. That triples the forecast. 90% of the jobs lost in the pandemic have been recovered. Is more money needed? According to Stats Canada, the federal government gave people back more money than they lost in the pandemic. But did the pandemic also expose dangerous gaps in healthcare and infrastructure that need fixing? What should you expect tomorrow? This is why the Scrum is back to tell you. Uh, Joyce Napier, our CTV News Ottawa Bureau Chief, is back. Joining her is BNN Bloomberg host Amanda Lang. And our special guest this round is the Business Council of Canada CEO and President Goldie Hyder. Uh, great to have everyone here. Goldie, uh, Lots of indications that this uh, is going to be a big spending budget. What are you looking for? What are your, what are your concerns or opportunities? Well, uh, let me just say three things about that, Evan. First and foremost is we know that there's going to be a short-term focus. Obviously, the variants are, are creating uh, chaos in the country still. We need to make sure that people get vaccinated and that we get that under control so that we can get to that restart and a, and a reopening in the short term. But what we're also looking for is a long-term growth plan. How are we going to go past the sort of the preloaded stimulus impact, if you will, of the economy that you referenced off the top and actually build an economy for the longer term? And what role can the private sector play working with government to do that. The, the second thing I would say is the quality of the spend. It's clear that the government intends on spending money. Um, this is not the time for a traditional stimulus. The economy is preloaded, as I said, and there's going to be a slingshot effect uh, in terms of the growth in the short term. But what we'd like to see is to make sure that any spending that does take place is productive in nature. It helps with child care, uh, whether it's digital infrastructure, skills or retraining or trade enabling infrastructure. And again, working with the private sector on a real serious, ambitious climate change plan in terms of what that transition looks like. But 
pull it all together, what we also need uh, is a fiscal framework. We need an anchor that shows that the government is serious and understands that this is not all about the spending side of the ledger. There's also a capital side of the ledger that we need to, to ensure that we, that we address here. So a lot for her to do, a lot for her to achieve in what might be the mother of all budgets. Uh, okay, Amanda's nodding. Go for it. I mean, I, what I really hope to see, Evan, is some really boring stuff and stuff actually that you don't often see in a budget, which is clarity. Uh, we really need two years in, more than ever, to see a document that lays out in really clear, easy to understand terms where we stand. And I say that, remember, we know we've spent a bundle. We know that there's 300 plus billion. But how much has the government lost in revenue? Income taxes, the single biggest source of government revenue, obviously down in a pandemic. I, I want them to, to present the numbers in a way that really clarifies the position. Not a lot of bells and whistles, not a lot of happy talk. Tell us where we stand. Tell us your plan for the pandemic. And then, I mean, to Goldie's point, I, I would say we're hearing from more and more business people and economists, hold off on your stimulus spending. Don't do it now. You don't have to promise 100 billion right now. Wait till we're out of the woods on this. Uh, okay, Joyce, uh, there's going to be bells and there's probably going to be whistles galore as well. Uh, what are you expecting to see? Well, I'm, unfortunately, I, I, I agree with Amanda. There is going to be happy talk. I am hoping as well that it be clear. I think uh, Canadians are owed some clarity uh, and no overspending because, you know, don't let today's solution become tomorrow's problem. And that's what I fear. I mean, childcare, absolutely brilliant. We know that. We've known that for decades. And the Liberals have promised that for decades. Maybe this is the time that they will actually deliver on it. Now, there are other things, you know, sort of pharmacare. Do we really need it now uh, when we know our healthcare systems are crumbling? So I would like, you know what I would like? Ideally, some realism. Um, you know, no happy talk because these are not happy times. Optimistic for the future, certainly. Um, maybe you can hold off on the spending because $386 billion are already there in the deficit. We don't need to add to it, um, you know, for so many different reasons. Right. Um, but, but I think that this is a political budget. Don't kid yourselves. It's going to be an election coming up three months, five months, six months. It doesn't matter. Probably the last budget before the next election. So expect it to be very political. Uh, okay, Goldie, I want to pick up on something Joyce just talked about, the 380-odd billion dollars, which will go up if, there, if there's more spending. The truth is that debt service payment uh, right now is at the, you know, it's the lowest since I think the 80s. It's been very, very low debt service payment. But you've got both households and corporations are massively over leveraged right now. How concerned are you about, uh, you know, inflation and, and household debt and, and, and corporate debt? Well, I'm certainly concerned by inflation that would be triggered by overstimulation, if you will. And that is one of the risks of overstimulating an economy that, as you said off the top, the jobs are coming back. We're less than two uh, percentage points away uh, from where we were before the pandemic started. Uh, Bank of Canada reported that the where business confidence is back to pre-pandemic levels. Don't overstimulate at this time. And to your point earlier, keep the powder dry to some extent. But if you are going to spend, just make sure it is for productivity. We're going to get a tremendous bounce just from the American spend on infrastructure. But I will say, there's a lot of talk about the American investments as just being, you know, uh, in terms of spending. But theirs is about a growth strategy. And I want to make sure that ours is about a growth strategy because that's how you manage the inflation is if you're growing it, we can afford the programs that are being created. But you can't have rising interest costs service your debt and not expect cuts to programs right. and cuts to services and making life unaffordable for Canadians. Okay, well, Amanda, pick up on that. The U.S. has got these, you know, $2 trillion.
trillion dollar want, infrastructure debts. Now they've redefined infrastructure. It's no longer just roads and bridges. It's it's internet infrastructure. Right. Childcare could be. Does that give Mr. Trudeau political coverage or, or, or Christian Freeland to actually follow suit and do the same thing? It might, and that's where the danger lies, Evan. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stick on this point, and that is we know we're gonna see a fiscal anchor because it's in the finance minister's mandate letter. So look for that. The question is, what's the anchor? You can make it whatever you want. We were tracking at 30% of, of GDP, debt to GDP. It should be somewhere like that. We can't have a new anchor that says 55 is good. 55 is terrible. We need to see something that says, we, yes, we're in a pandemic. We had to spend this. This is our vision of getting us back to balance. And we should remember, I was looking back at the 1920 budget the last time we got one. And by the way, they were tracking to balance in the five years they were forecasting. So we were already out of whack before this pandemic. Let's get back to balance. Okay, let's end on politics, Joyce. Uh, you said it, it's a political document as much as a, f a fiscal document. Uh, who do you expect to support it? What, what will be in there for support if they even want support or do they don't want support? What do you, what do you expect? Well, I think that with the variants being what they are, with ICUs being filled, like, yes, they do want support is the short answer. Um, and I think, you know, the NDP has already said it. It's not a secret here in Ottawa and across the country that they are going to support this budget. So I think that politically they're in a pretty comfortable position. Right. The only thing is, will there be overspending because right. uh, this is a political budget and because they're going into an election and they want to make as many people happy as they can? That's what I'm looking yeah. at. All right. Uh, politics used to be about choices. We'll find out if they're still making them. Uh, Goldie, Amanda, and Joyce, great to have you on the program. I want to remind everyone that CTV News will have full coverage of tomorrow's federal budget. It starts at 4 p.m. Eastern on CTV, CTV News Channel, and CTV news.ca. It's hosted, of course, by our chief news anchor and senior editor, Lisa Laflamme. Joyce, Amanda, and I will all be joining Lisa on that. And then I'll see you on a special edition of CTV's Power Play. We actually have an early start at 3 p.m., then we pick it up after the uh, national special at 5 p.m. Eastern on CTV News Channel. But for today, take care of each other. That is question period. If it's safe, and I hope it's safe, hug your loved ones. We'll see you back here in seven short days.